as I preached to you this morning, um, I've decided, I felt challenged by God to do something uh, quite outside my comfort zone, in that I have no script that I am reading from this morning, um, and that isn't because I ran out of time to prepare, it's because I really felt God just say, speak from the heart. I've got some Bible that we're going to look at and going to refer to, um, and uh, I have to say that in some respects I feel quite quite kind of vulnerable in, in, in that place, but really trusting that God will use this to inspire and provoke and encourage. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, even though you might use me, even though you will use all of us, to encourage one another, to lead one another, to inspire one another. I just want to say right now, Lord, that um, I come before you humbly knowing that I can't do any of that without your help. Anyone who's going to choose to love you more, Jesus, to live for you more, Jesus, is going to be because you have done the work in their hearts. And so, God, even though I'm going to just share some of my words and some of my heart, I pray more than anything that we as a people would get your words in your heart, that we would be provoked, that we would be equipped, that we would be encouraged to step into all that you have for us, Lord. So bear with me. I might, as we go through this, say some stuff that I don't mean and go back and edit myself. So I hope that you're okay with that because it isn't perfectly thought through and planned. But we, as a church, need to get Jesus' compelling vision for this city and what he wants to do in this city and for us as a group of people that are the church and our part to play in what he wants to do in this city. We are not a social club, even though we love hanging out together. That is not why God has put us together. He has put us together because he has a mission and a vision to impact lives all across this city, lives on your street, lives in your workplaces that he longs to transform into fullness of life that he won for us on the cross of Calvary and the resurrection three days later. And we somehow have to get some of God's vision for where he wants to be and what he wants to do so that it motivates us. Because I don't know about you, but I think and I observe that I think a lot of us are probably going to be struggling with motivation to really get back into doing the things that God has for us to do. I think many of us have really enjoyed a break. And by the way, if you've been through a, through a process of kind of saying, well, you know what, I need to cut this out, I need to cut that out, that's fine. If you were running too fast, that's fine. But 
Vision will only really come to pass when his people grab hold of it and run with it with a passion for him. And it has to be all about him. It has to be around bringing Jesus' heart and Jesus' kingdom to this city, to our households, to our streets. That has to be at the heart of all that we do. If you recognize any of this from my vision talk from a year ago, that's because I'm repeating myself on purpose. But when Jesus looks over this city, I believe that it is like when he, as, as detailed in Luke 19, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, as he approaches Bradford and beyond, okay? And if you live in Shipley or Bailden or Wyke or whatever, you still live in Bradford, all right? Even people in Ilkley live in Bradford, but don't tell them. <laughs> As he approached the city, he wept over it. And he said that if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace... He saw the city of Jerusalem. He saw how wrapped up they were in, 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 in the religion that, that kind of God had brought to create the moment that Jesus would arrive, and yet they turned it into this mass of rules and regulations. And he saw where they were at, and he saw that they ignore the needs of the poor, and he saw that they, they would fight with one another. And he's just like, oh, if only you had seen what would bring you shalom. That beautiful Hebrew word, shalom, wholeness. We, 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 it's such a poor translation to turn it into peace, but we have no English word that works. We really don't. Wholeness of peace and fullness of life. If only you had known. And he wept over a city that had lost sight of the God who would bring that to them. And he weeps over our city as well. He weeps at the, the dysfunction and he weeps at the poverty. And we all know poverty can be when you've got no money and it can be when you've got all the money in the world. He weeps over it. And he longs, he longs to bring the joy because you can think, oh, man, this is just so heavy, and he's, there's Jesus, and he's crying. This is the same Jesus who turned the water into wine and threw out a wedding feast and, and, and loved a banquet and talked, actually, that, that the end of all things would be like a feast and a banquet. And somehow, as a community, we need to embrace this kind of this weeping and this lamenting over the mess of so many lives around us whilst maintaining the joy of being God's people, the joy of throwing a load of food on the table and enjoying food and drink together and, and being in one another's lives and, and somehow working those two things together. Jesus, in Matthew 16... in his conversation with Peter, when he asked him, who do you say I am? 
the most important question we know anyone will ever be asked in this life or the next. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the Son of the living God. You don't know how radical it was for Peter to say that. Wow. You are it. You're the one that we've all been waiting. You're the one that this whole Jewish thing had been all about so that you could come and complete it and start something brand new. You are the one. Blessed are you, Simon. This was not revealed to you by man. And then he says this brilliant thing. I tell you that you are Peter. And again, I don't know if you remember me talking about this last year. I love the interplay here. He says, you are Peter. And he uses the Greek term, you are a small rock. You are Petra. You're the small rock. And upon this rock, and the Greek then twists to Petros, on this big rock, which is confession of Jesus as Lord, I will build my gathering. I will build my gathering. I will build my ecclesia. The ecclesia was basically any time in the Jewish history, God called the people out. They, they came out of their homes to sort out community matters. That is what they did. That is what an ecclesia was. If there was a problem on the street, they didn't do WhatsApp messages and kind of like, can, can we sort out the person that's dumped all the rubbish on the bar? No, it's like, let's all come together. You come out of your house, Dave. You come out of your house, Kiri. And let's work out what we can do to change this world that we are living in. They were the called out ones. And Jesus deliberately chose that word, which had a huge societal meaning, and basically said, and I... I'm going to build my called out ones that we might come out of our homes, that we might come together, be it on a Sunday morning here, meeting for a walk along the canal, going to the pub to chew over the, the, the ills of the world and how Jesus is the answer. He called us out. And he said, I will build my I struggle to use the word church because it is just such, it, is, it just doesn't, it, you know, because we too often think of buildings and Sunday meetings. It's not what he was about. He was like, I'm going to build a group of people, a community of people who come together, who share their food with one another, who share their possessions with one another, who go out from that place and they bring the love of God and they bring the power of God and they do all of that in such a way that stuff starts to get built and there's this new community happening. And when good things start happening, when people get free from addiction and when people get free from material possessions, then my kingdom my rule and my reign is starting to come. As a church leader, that promise of Jesus that I will build my church helps me get out of bed in the morning. Helps me go and go and go because it is his promise that he will build his church. He will strengthen it, he will grow it, and he will make it more beautiful.
But though Jesus said that he will build his church, and maybe the disciples like, great, <laughs> what do you want us to do? Maybe Jesus was like, well, I've been reasonably clear with you, boys and girls, in terms of kind of what your bit is. You know, I've sent you out to preach. I've sent you out to heal the sick. I've sent you out to, to care for those who are sick and, and, and in need. I've taught you what you need to know. I've taught you what you need to go and do. I've demonstrated to you the kind of people you need to be. And so right at the end, he famously says, okay, this is the plan. This is the plan to change the whole world. Every single one of you, go, go, and teach which we've turned into the term make disciples and teach to obey everything I have commanded you. So you remember when I told you not to worry about anything, but to trust your father and go and teach people to do that. You know when I taught you to, to love your enemies and to be kind to people who persecute, go and teach them to do that. You know, when I told you to be free of material possessions because your father knows exactly what you need, go and teach. You remember when I taught you that you could, you could pray for the sick and see healing? Go and teach. And my heart is that we as a church would do the fullness of that commission, which is a lot harder because... We often think what Jesus says is kind of go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them everything I have told you. Did anyone spot the obvious omission from my quotation of Matthew 28? Teaching them everything I have taught you. What he said was go into all the world and teach them to obey everything I've taught you. And too often as churches, we've been more bothered about teaching and a lot less bothered about obeying. And I am guilty of that. I love learning stuff. I'm not such a big fan of obedience. I love getting new knowledge. I love getting new information. I love it. And it's great. And I'm not knocking that, by the way. It's wonderful and it's brilliant. But all of it has to lead to a place of obedience. God has called us, is calling us to be a family of disciples. Disciple just means a learner and a follower. A family of disciples who are making disciples. A family of disciples, a family of Jesus followers that are learning and are teaching and training through our example as well as through our words that people might learn 
to obey, to see his kingdom come in their hearts and their lives as it comes in ours. prophet Isaiah spoke these words and you know when we have uh, been talking a bit of blogs and stuff around kind of like inspired scripture and uh, you know totally believe it's all breathed but there are some bits where I think you know where a prophet absolutely nails it just lands on something. And you know it because it's the stuff that comes out time and time again. It's like, this is like this is inspired on steroids, this is. Where he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. See, I am doing a new thing. Who wants God to be doing a new thing? Who wants to be going back to same old, same old? Anyone keen on going back to same old, same old? Well, let's face it, we like bits of it, don't we? Yeah, and that's fine. Let's keep, let's keep the good Let's embrace the goods that we might have done for years, that we might have done for decades, that the church might have done for centuries. Let's embrace the good. But then let's say, God, will you do a new thing? Will you cause it to spring up? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. We live in a spiritual desert. We live in a spiritual wasteland. God, we need you to come and do a new thing. We need it to spring up in our midst. And here we are, Lord, to quote another bit of Isaiah, use me and use us. It was, uh, yeah, It was and is a longing and desire within leadership team, um, in my heart, to to kind of have a, oh God, what might you want to do that's new? What might you want to do that's different, that helps us be a family of disciples that actually really does disciple one another, teaches one another? God, what are your secrets? What are your plans? What is this new thing that you want to, 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 to bubble up within us? How can you... Teach us and show us how to love one another. Because as we love one another, Jesus himself promises we love one another as he loves us, that the world will see. Oh, God. God, how I long for the world to see. I believe the world can see. I'm excited that in a few weeks' time, on October the 3rd, we're going to be baptizing some brand new followers of Jesus Christ who have chosen to say, yeah, count me in. I'm prepared to follow. I'm prepared to obey, no matter how difficult it is. And if he can do it in the five or six people that are getting baptized there, if he can do it in some of the young people that are going to get baptized, then he can do it again and again and again and again. 
And yes, it will take some hard work and it will take some effort and it will take some sacrifice. But I've been living for Jesus nearly 30 years now since he stepped into my heart in that university room that we discovered they've knocked down, and, um, which I thought was rude. It's like, where are they going to put the blue plaque now? Seriously. Um, <laughs> and me and Josie, we have given our lives. Okay, maybe not compared to some of our brothers and sisters that are in Afghanistan at the moment. But by Western standards, we have given our lives. We poured it into youth groups. We poured it into starting churches and planting churches. We both left jobs to get onto the front line. To say, here I am, God, use me. You build your church. But would you help us to make disciples and there has been cost and there's been challenge but I wouldn't change a thing because this living for Jesus is the adventure of a lifetime because even though it has cost it has meant helping people find Jesus. Even though it has cost, it has meant building a church that is good news to the poor and to the destitute. Even though it has cost, it has been families springing up in home churches and young adults and in, in young people. And even though, being brutally honest here, there are days when I'm not sure I can be bothered. Really, when I look to Jesus, when I fix my eyes upon the King of Kings, and I remember what he's done for me, and my wife, and my kids, and the whole world, I find something inside that says there's no place that I would rather be. There is no cause that is greater, there is nothing more important than seeking to put this world back together by introducing people to the King of Kings who has made the reconciliation of all things possible. And as we talk about vision and as we come back together as church and as Rachel says... We need a bit more help to disciple these children and these young people. And as I maybe say, I need a bit more help to disciple the grown-ups through home churches, through new Christian stuff. As we say, you know what, we need some more help discipling those that God is bringing into our family, maybe through food bank, maybe through your friendships. It is right to look at your calendar and go, can I fit that in? It is right to do that, please. We're not going to be a church that is burned out on just doing stuff for God. But when you get a moment, I ask you to fix your eyes on Jesus. When we, over the next month, 
experience an explosion of generosity so that we can buy this building to be a tool for his church to meet and gather and welcome in and to serve and love our community. We're going to need to look to Jesus and say, God, use me. Here I am. I'm yours. Take me and use me. I would love to have, actually I wouldn't. I was going to say I'd love to have lots of snappy, memorable phrases to try and cast vision, but you guys don't need marketing. It's not about marketing. I just want you to see Jesus in the people around you. See Jesus in me, in Josie, in Tarzan, in Helen, in Steve, in Rachel. I want you to see Jesus in your home church leaders. I want you to see Jesus in the person next to you. That that would provoke a here I am, send me moment.